Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome. want to welcome in all of those who are joining us online from whenever, wherever you are, and also those out in Prescott Valley. So grateful for you today. Uh, we get to begin today with a couple of baptisms. So we're excited about that. This is the Nelson family. This is Sammy and Sydney and Tyler, uh, the old man dad back here. Sweet girls that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. We actually got to go skiing together this winter, and they made fun of me for my short skis, but that's okay. They did great. But today is a big day, and they've been connecting with mom and dad about what it looks like to follow after Jesus, and have decided that they're ready to do this today. And so, Sammy, as we talked about in the back, I'm going to ask you to make what we call the good confession. Say, I believe, I believe. that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. Son of the Living God. And I want Him. And I want Him to be my Savior. To be my Savior. Because of your confession of faith today, Dad's going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There we go, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sydney, we're going to ask you to make that same confession. Say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I want him to be my Savior. Because of your confession of faith, your dad's going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a way to start our day. Uh, So glad that you guys are here today. Welcome in all of you this morning. Um, I want to begin, before we dive into our message today, I want to begin just with one quick update slash announcement, reminder. Uh, We just last week had our Commitment Sunday. It was so exciting, so grateful for all of those that were here and were a part of that. I know that many of you missed out on that opportunity, and so wanted to remind us that uh, we are going to be doing our first big give. Excel officially kicks off 
October 22nd, October 22nd. So that's a couple of weeks because our number one goal from the beginning, our primary goal was 100% engagement. That we wanted everybody who calls Prescott, I'm sorry, that was a flashback, calls Quad City, their church home, uh, to be a part of this with us. And so if you haven't been able to do that yet, then it's not too late. We invite you to do that. And we'll make our big announcement on October 22nd. We're going to celebrate all of the generosity uh, that has been committed so far. So we're excited about that. So if you need to fill out a commitment card, you can still do that. And hopefully you'll be here with us on October 22nd. Today, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series. I thought there'd be more applause for that. Yeah, <laughs> just, it was a little bit pent up, wasn't it? I felt it. I feel that. All right. Um, and I want to start by talking about this stool. Now, you are smart people, most of you. You're smart people. Uh, what's wrong with this stool? It's missing a leg, right? It's missing a leg. Now, the, even with this leg missing, this stool is still really helpful. Like, I can still sit on it, and it can still bear my weight. Uh, The problem is, it's just just not very stable. See, with this, with the leg missing, uh, what ends up happening is essentially my legs have to compensate. My legs become the third and fourth leg on this stool, right? It can't, it can't, it can hold my weight, right? That's the good news. Um, It's just very unstable. And if I take even just a second and take my legs off of the floor, I'm going down, right? So that's that's the thing. I have to be the, the one to bring stability to the whole thing to make sure that the stool stays upright. Now, is it better than nothing? For sure. Like I said, it can still bear my weight. However, is it doing everything that a stool is meant to do? No, it is not, which brings me to the premise of this series. I think for many of us, this stool is a picture of us trying to live a life of following Jesus. I think it is a picture of us in our Christian life. Um, If I were to ask you to tell me about your relationship with God the Father, I think you you could tell me about your prayer life and your love of the Lord. If I were to ask you to tell me about your relationship with, with Jesus, the Son of God, you would tell me about your desire to know Him and to love Him and to be like Him and and to follow after him. You could do that. But if I ask you to tell me about your relationship with the Holy Spirit, I think for many of us in this room, uh, that, would be a little, that would be a little more difficult. Like we, we would be, uh, oh, I don't know. What is the Holy Spirit? I, we know of the Holy Spirit. We've read of the Holy Spirit. We know of the fruits of the Spirit. But when we think about a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I think many of us would be at a bit of a loss of what that's supposed to look like. And I know that because Arizona Christian University uh, in 2021 did a study talking about trying to take the pulse of what doctrine looked like in the church in America, and they did a study, and in this study, they found that 62% of self-identified born-again Christians declared that they did not believe that the Holy Spirit was a real, alive, 
person. Like 62%, which means if the statistics hold true, less than four in 10 of those who are gathered here today don't believe in the Holy Spirit as a, as a being, as a real, a real active and alive being. Instead, they just believe that the Holy Spirit is the picture or, uh, of the power and presence of God. It, 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 they believe that it's a symbol, that the Spirit, when we talk about the Spirit, it's like a symbol of the power and presence of God, not a real, actual person. Um, which again is why I think that for many of us, this is a good picture. We're, it's like we're living our Christian life sitting on a two-legged stool. We got the Father, which we love. We got the, 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 the Son, which we are grateful for His sacrifice. And they can bear the weight. The, but, then, but then we have to provide the rest. Like it's up to us to keep the thing going, to keep it upright. And if, if even for a moment, we, 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 we stop, we take our, if we quit even for a second, then the whole thing's just going to fall apart. We end up having to bear the weight of living the Christian life. We got to figure out how to keep it going or to fall over. Which is why I believe that many of us, including myself, I think it is our lack of knowledge and trust in the Holy Spirit that ends up making following Jesus so hard for us. I think it's why so many of us struggle to keep going, why our faith feels like it's so much work, why we're spiritually tired and empty. I think it's why so many of us feel discouraged and disillusioned when it comes to our faith. Because we read in the Bible about this vibrancy of people's faith, about how they're manifesting love and joy and peace, how they're so courageous and expectant. We feel like that we should be marked by light and by life. And we're not just supposed to have a realization of God, but a relationship with God. We're not just supposed to have an experience with God. We're actually supposed to have an intimacy with God. We're not supposed to have an acknowledgement of God, but a true affection for God. And for so many of us, it's missing. And we're just struggling to keep our faith upright. But we're getting tired. Because you can sit on that two-legged stool for a while, but eventually you're going to need a nap. And if for a moment you quit, the thing topples over. So I'm, I pray that over the next several weeks together, that I want us to discover what's, what's missing. Or better said, I, I hope that together we can discover who's missing. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for a chance to gather together with your people in this place and open up scriptures. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place to fill this room, to begin doing your work in us. Illuminate from your word. You are the author of the scriptures and you do the work of illumination for our hearts. So I pray that you would remove any blinders that are in our, in our, in our way today that we can see clearly who you are. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
So I need to just warn you up front today, we got a lot of scriptures, all right? So we're going to be, we'll be going fast today. We got a ton of scriptures because the Holy Spirit is spoken of all throughout the scriptures, like all of them, like from beginning to end, from like the very first paragraph. It begins in chapter one of the book of Genesis, the very first page. We find the Holy Spirit at work in creation. The scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of the deep, like from the beginning, the Holy Spirit is there on page one of your Bible. And you'll also flip to the very end, the very last page of your Bible, Revelation 22, where Jesus is making the invitation, come all who are thirsty, come all who are hungry, buy bread, you can have a come. And the Holy Spirit jumps in and says, yes, come, come, the invitation of the Spirit, come. So from the very first page to the very last page and all the pages in between. So we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures throughout this series, specifically today. I want to begin by just making sure that we are all on the same page this morning. We're all on the same page. So I want to start by laying the foundation for one of the most important foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. And that is that we believe, when I say we, I mean those who are Orthodox biblical Christians, what we believe is we believe in a God who is three in one. We believe in a God that is three in one. We call this the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? Now, the doctrine of the Trinity, in a nutshell, is that there is one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons, okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's not three gods in one place, nor there one God in three phases, There are people who believe that, but that is not biblical Christianity. It is one God, three persons. They are coexistent, they are co-eternal, and they are co-equal as the Godhead. Or put it another way, there is one divine being manifesting in three persons everywhere at all times. I found this diagram that I thought was helpful, so maybe you'll find it to be helpful There is one God, one God. And in this God, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. They are all God. In and of themselves, they are God. However, the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are three distinct persons. They are all God. They are all one God, but they are three persons, which is why they can all interact with each other. The Father has a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a relationship with the Son, and the Son has a relationship with the Father. They're individual. It's one God, three persons. Now, You will not find, if you pull up your concordance today, you will not find the word Trinity in your Bible, okay? So you can go look that up and you won't find it. However, you will find the concept of the Trinity all over 
your Bible. So I want to take a few minutes and just share some of those with you. Again, my job today, I'm just trying to lay the foundation for the rest of this series together, okay? You'll find it in verses, the, the, the concept of the Trinity in verses like 2 Corinthians 13, 14, where it says, may the God, I'm sorry, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, all three of them separately are mentioned in this one text. They're all three there at the same time. Here's another one. Mark, uh, talking about Jesus' baptism, records this. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and the voice came from heaven, that is the Father. How do we know it's the Father? Because he says, you are my son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. In the baptism of Jesus, you find the Trinity. All three of them are there participating in that moment. Keep going. John records the biggest chunk in Scripture related to the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is speaking, and here's what he says. Jesus says, all this I have spoken. Jesus is speaking. But the, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Again, all three of them right there. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Again, keep going. To God's elect, Peter. So now we've had John writing about it, Mark writing about it, uh, Peter writing about it, Paul writing about it. To God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Maybe the most famous of all of them, one that we just shared in a moment ago, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. When we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son. And notice, it's in the, not in the names, not in the names, it's not plural, it's one, it's one name. One name, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, one name, not names. We don't baptize in the names of the Father and Son and Spirit, it's in the name, it's one, one God. So here's the big takeaway. The Father is God. Scripture says the Father is God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. The Father is God. And Jesus the Son is God. He says, Paul writes, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son, Jesus is God. And then lastly, the Spirit is God. There's this moment early in the church's history when Ananias and Sapphira brought their offering and it was a little deceptive. And Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to who? Lied to who? 
like it's literally on the screen and I underlined it. He says, you lied to who? You lied to the Holy Spirit. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to who? Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We worship one God in three persons. And the word person is really, really important for us. It means that each member of the Trinity has a distinct will and consciousness. Which is why, again, that they can relate to each other on an individual level. The Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, the Spirit to the Father. The Holy Spirit is a person. There are many who see the Spirit, when they read about the Spirit, they think of the Spirit kind of like the force in Star Wars. It's just this, this, this impersonal entity that's floating out there somewhere that you can just tap into on some level. It's like when people say, I'm sending you good vibes. Like, like we're going to tap into this thing. It's not a real thing, but it's a thing that I'm going to tap into. I'm going to send good vibes your way. Or I'm going to manifest into the universe this thing. Or I'm going to go to the vortex. And if I could just stand on my thing one, if I get to the vortex, it taps me into some spiritual, mystical something out there that can maybe change. No, it's not. That's not the spirit. That's not what scripture teaches. What scripture teaches is that the Spirit has personhood, which means that the Spirit, as every person must, has individual intelligence and will and emotion. So again, I just want to lay the foundation to show you this in Scripture. Okay? So let's begin with this. The Spirit has intelligence. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit knows things, knows the very thoughts of God because He is God. And the Spirit also searches all things. So He continues to grow in knowledge, searching all things, including us. The Spirit has intelligence. The Spirit has a determining will. Paul writing about the gifts of the Spirit says, all of these, all of these gifts are work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So the Spirit doles out gifts to His people And says, you get this gift, and you get that gift, and you get that gift, and you get this one. And it is the Spirit who decides. He determines on His own which gift you get and which gift I get. The Spirit decides. He has a determining will. The Spirit can be grieved. The Spirit can be grieved. Paul writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit can be grieved. Just as your children have the ability to grieve your heart, we have the ability to grieve God's heart. And in in the context of this verse, the grieving of the Holy Spirit was the, the people of God sinning against one another. 
That was what was grieving the Holy Spirit, hanging on to bitterness and unforgiveness and malice with and toward each other. And that breaks the Holy Spirit's heart in the same way that when your kids are fighting and sinning against each other, it breaks your heart as a parent. Just don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can be lied to. Again, we just looked at it with Ananias. Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? It can be lied to just in the same way that you can be lied to. You don't lie to a force. You don't lie to a vortex. The Spirit can be lied to. The Spirit can be quenched. Again, Paul writes, do not quench the Spirit. And the word quench means exactly what you think it would mean. It, it means uh, to extinguish something. It's most often used in putting out a fire in the same way that you and I have the ability to quench the work of the Spirit in us, to snuff out the work of the Spirit in our life, to extinguish the purpose and passion and influence that the Spirit wants to work in us. We have the ability to Snuff that out. The Spirit, on the flip side, can be pleased. We can please. We can bring pleasure to the Holy Spirit. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We can live our lives in such a way that we bring honor and glory and pleasure and joy to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can be resisted. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And might I say so to you? And so do I. We have all resisted the Holy Spirit. Every time you've sinned, you've resisted the Holy Spirit. He's calling you. He says, hey, you should do something about that. Move in this direction. But you say, I ain't doing that. Or when the Spirit says, hey, you really shouldn't be moving in that direction. You say, well, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it anyway. Every time we do that, we're resisting the Holy Spirit. We're stiff-arming the Holy Spirit. And He lets us. Spirit can be insulted. How much more, oh, this is a terrifying text. Hebrews chapter 10, the whole context is the writer of Hebrews is contrasting all of the punishment that the people of the Old Testament endured in their disobedience and unbelief. They, we look at it, we think, that was a big, scary God back in the Old Testament. Oh, look what he did to those people. And the point of Hebrews 10, it says, hey, you, you think if you do that, you're going to get something better? How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who's trampled on the Son of God? They didn't have the Son of God to trample on. You do. You think you're going to, because you're trampling on the Son of God, you think you're going to get off easier? Someone who deserves to be punished, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. They didn't even, the people in Israel, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. You think you're going to get off easier having experienced the Son and the Spirit if you walk in the same disobedience and arrogance and pride and unbelief that they did? You think it's going to be easier for you? 
No. He can be insulted. You've insulted the spirit of grace. In fact, Jesus talks about how we have the ability to blaspheme the spirit. It's the spirit who calls people into ministry. There was a small group praying one night, and it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, in a general sense, we all recognize that the Holy Spirit has called us all into ministry, but there is, it is the Holy Spirit who specifically calls. Like, he has the ability to come and say, I'm grateful for all of you, but this one and this one, I've got a special task for. And I need you to set them apart. They're called into ministry for this season, for this role. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, I share all of this as a reminder that the Holy Spirit is a person who can and does experience emotion, both good and bad, just as we do. Or stated better, we all experience emotion, both good and bad, just as he does. Because we were made in his image, he was not made in our image. We got it from him. And in a world that has become obsessed with pronouns, our pronouns here matter. They matter. The Spirit is a he, not an it. The Spirit is a he, not an it. He is a person, not a thing. We use it to describe things, not people. The Holy Spirit is a he. In fact, this is how Jesus refers to the Spirit in John 16. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Anybody seen a pattern here? Okay. I know for many of us, this is going to take a little bit of practice, but our words matter. We got to get this right. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing, a he, not an it. Again, many of us have fallen into the, a bad habit of calling the Spirit an it. So we need to lovingly have grace for one another, but to correct each other, to remind each other, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's he. It's not a thing, not an it. Now, my goal for today as we kick off this series is just to reintroduce us to the Holy Spirit. Just laying the groundwork today. And I want to leave you by introducing him in the same way that Jesus did to his disciples in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 14. Again, in John 14, John gives us Chapter 14, 15, and 16, some of the greatest teaching about the Holy Spirit, okay? And we're going to be looking at it, bouncing in and out of that text over the next few weeks. But I want to set the context. It's the night before Jesus is crucified. He's got his disciples that's in there in the upper room. 
And Jesus has just told them, I'm getting ready to be arrested and tried, and they're going to crucify me. I'll be murdered tomorrow. And as you can imagine, they were shocked and they were scared. They were fearful. What's going to happen? Their, their master, their Lord and master is about to be gone. He's going to leave them. The one who has walked beside them for three years, who's led them and guided them and protect them and taught them and encouraged them and corrected them and rebuked them. All of the things that Jesus has been for them for three years is about to disappear. And they're scared about what is going to happen next. And so Jesus speaks into that fear with this amazing promise to them. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, a spirit of truth. Again, we see the Trinity at work. Jesus says, I, I will do this. I will ask the Father and he, the Father, will give you another advocate to help you. And that advocate is the spirit. So, Trinity, all here again, three persons, distinct, talking about one another. And right here is what I want us to focus on. He says, and I will give you, he will give you another advocate. Jesus introduces his disciples to the Holy Spirit by using this word, an advocate, the advocate. And he uses this term three times in this text, John 14, 26. But the advocate, in case you're wondering who it is, it's the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. He's the Advocate, capital A. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, John 15. John 16, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So he calls him the advocate. He introduces him as the advocate. The question is, what does that mean? Well, it means much the same that it means in our culture. It has a legal background. So think about someone who is standing beside someone who's on trial, who comes alongside and they stand on their behalf. They are the advocate of the person who's standing trial. This is the same idea here. It comes from the word paraclete in, in, in the Greek. It's called the paraclete. It's the word. It's a compound word, para, meaning beside. And this cleat means to call. So it's a compound word, meaning this is someone who is called beside, called beside. Someone is called to stand beside you on your behalf. That's what the word paraclete means. So it's someone who comes alongside us to guide us, to help us, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to encourage us, remind us, convict us, counsel us. Now up to this point, the paraclete in the life of the disciple has been Jesus. It's been Jesus, which is why Jesus said, there is another paraclete because I'm leaving, but he's going to send you another paraclete, someone else, a different person who's going to come beside you. This paraclete for the disciples was Jesus, 
who did all the stuff. And now he says, but I'm sending you another one. And this other paraclete's going to do all the same stuff that I did. But he's actually going to be better. Did you catch that? Jesus actually said, it is for your good that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the advocate won't come to you. Like Jesus says, there's another advocate and he's better for you. To which I think most of us would say, I don't think that's true. I think Jesus being here would be much better. Like if Jesus was just walking around, that would be really great. That would be much better. Jesus doesn't agree. He says, this advocate's better. It's actually good for you. Good for you that I'm leaving and that he's coming. And we'll talk about why that is next week. But I want you to hear this today. We have in the person of the Holy Spirit an advocate, or some of your Bibles say a helper, a helper, someone who comes alongside us to do for us what Jesus did for his disciples while he was with them. This means that God never intended for us to wear ourselves out by trying to live the Christian life alone. You have a helper. And many of us, we've been at this for a long time and we've got the Father and we've got the Son and we've been hanging on and we've been trying to keep this thing going. We've been trying to keep it upright and it's getting harder because our legs are getting tired and we just wish we could find a little bit of rest in the midst. But if we do, if we let up for just a second, then the whole thing's gonna topple over. And I wonder how many of us, like the Spirit is standing there right beside us saying, you want some help with that? Because that's why I'm here. Like that's why, the, that's why I was sent. And you don't have to do this alone anymore. I think for most of us, someone is missing from our spiritual toolbox. We are actually missing the greatest asset the most important asset we've ever been given, which is God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. who's just longing to come alongside us. And I think it's time for us as individuals and us as a church to rediscover what the Spirit has to offer. And I hope you'll join us on this journey. Let me pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have sent the Holy Spirit for us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to help sustain us in this journey because we've been trying to do it so long on our own. We've neglected and rejected and resisted and, and squelched your work in us. And I just ask for forgiveness and I pray that over these next few weeks together that you'd begin to do a work in us as individuals but also in the midst of your people this church awaken us to the power that you provide in the name of Jesus we pray amen 
Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.